0: Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com.
1: Welcome, everyone. I'm Melissa Smith, Managing Editor of Content Solutions here at HousingWire. We're back with our Women of Influence mini-podcast series. Every Tuesday for the next few weeks, we'll be highlighting women who make a substantial contribution to the industry. I'm excited to be joined by Katie Sweeney, CEO of the Association of Independent Mortgage Experts. But before we jump in, here's a word from our sponsor. Finance of America Companies provides a diverse range of lending solutions for every phase of life. With innovation at the forefront, Finance of America offers products from traditional, reverse, and retirement mortgages, to commercial real estate loans and home improvement financing. As a true partner, Finance of America helps people thrive through equity, paving the way to lasting financial freedom. Visit www.financeofamerica.com to learn more about Finance of America's products, services, and the people behind them. Finance of America is an equal opportunity employer. To start off, I want to read an excerpt from Katie's 2021 Women of Influence profile. As a millennial leader in the mortgage industry, Katie Sweeney has leveraged her modern asset management and traditional industry knowledge to position brokers for a more substantial market share in a competitive housing environment. Sweeney joined the Association of Independent Mortgage Experts in early 2020 as the Executive Vice President of Strategy. And despite the pandemic, she continued AIM and the Wholesale Channel on its growth trajectory that the organization sparked when it was founded. Since taking over as CEO in January of 2021, Sweeney has been laser-focused on helping the AIM community build sustainable businesses and create success for themselves. Katie, thanks so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. It's always always an honor to work with HousingWire and even more so to be featured amongst a bunch of amazing women. You don't get to do this very often.
1: To start out, I'd love to learn more about your role as CEO at AIM as well as AIM's role in the mortgage industry. Could you share a bit more about that?
0: Yeah. So the Association of Independent Mortgage Experts is we are the national trade association for mortgage brokers across the country. So we represent about 65,000 members. Uh, we have members in all 50 states. We have members down in Puerto Rico. We have members in D.C. Uh, really any part of U.S. territory, we've got members that are there working locally, side by side with consumers ingrained in their communities. And those are the people that we represent, and those are the people that we really strive to protect, support, and grow. That's our mission statement. We want to make sure that we're protecting the channel and moving forward in legislative advocacy and in um, regulatory reform that makes it easier and better to be a home buyer in today's market. Uh, We work to support our members through different membership and education initiatives, one of which launched literally today with a formal AIM Academy that came out. So we're very excited about what we're continuing to do on that front and then to continue to grow the channel. We saw some pretty strong trajectory going into the pandemic. Things flattened out a bit because there was a lot of chaos and turmoil in the housing industry that I'm sure everyone listening here is more than familiar with. We don't need to get into the weeds on that. But we've really started to see things pick back up. As rates rise, the broker channel tends to have even more advantages to working directly with consumers. Um, uh, margins that aren't quite as bloated as you see in some other areas. Ability to pivot, move quickly, evolve recruit at a faster pace. So we're really seeing the channel growth continue to evolve and then to focus on our impact initiatives, which are the thing that I'm probably the most proud of. Um, that I think we'll probably get into later on in the podcast.
1: You joined AIM in 2020 as EVP of strategy and then rose to CEO in January of 2021. What was that transition like and what advice would you give others as they grow in their careers?
0: Uh, Well, I don't think that it's a shock to anybody who's familiar with AIM or what was going on in the housing industry through 2020 that it was a little bit chaotic. Um, The transition happened very, very quickly. Um, I stepped in and filled in in an interim role for about six months before I officially took over the CEO position in January of 2020. So really dating back to Almost exactly two years ago, the summer of 2020 is when I was able to step in, formalize the role in January of 2021. Um, And it really was, it all comes down to being in a position to help when people were searching for somebody to lead. And my entire career has been predicated off of knowing the value of the skills that I bring to the table, looking for opportunities to help expand those skills and lead others that are looking for guidance or. Uh, problem solving or a path forward in times of turmoil, and then being confident enough to step into that and say, I can do it. I might not know exactly what I'm going to do quite yet, but I'm confident that we will be able to figure it out with the team that we've pulled together. Um, And that's exactly what the transition was into this new role. In fact, Every transition that I've had in my entire career, whether it was in healthcare when I was first getting started or in housing now, was being in a position to recognize that there was an opportunity or a problem or something that needed to get better or be better than whatever that situation was at that time and raising my hand and saying – I'll figure it out. I don't know what it's going to take to do it, but I know that I can get there. Um, And that's exactly what the transition was in taking over AIM. There was a lot that needed to change for the association. There was a lot that needed to evolve. Um, We were codified and brought together with a really bold, boisterous message that was very necessary to get people's attention. Brokers had been forgotten for so long. And not even just forgotten, but intentionally ignored for quite some time. I mean, we're talking close to a decade, right? And when AIM came to be, it was brash and aggressive, but it was necessary to make sure that people were listening. And it helped ensure that every broker out there that felt like they were on an island or in a silo knew that we existed and that they could join in and become a part of a community that they hadn't had access to previously. But Movements evolve, and groups and communities change over time to fit what the necessary components of the growing group are. And I really look at my um, my tenure at AIM so far, particularly in this leadership role, as the time when it was uh, it was necessary to to grow up. A little bit, and to really put more structure and to create sustainability and st- first stability in general with the group. Um, and it was time to go from a movement and a message to a group that had um, had a voice and had credibility and a reputation that people wanted to be around and related to. And it wasn't just the reputation with consumers externally. It was how do we build that reputation with real estate agents? How do we rebuild our credibility with our lending partners or our vendors? How do we get to the point where the industry isn't looking at us as you know the rebel rousing younger sibling, but as a group that was to be taken seriously, that you wanted to work with and you wanted to be around? And we will never lose our edge. We will never lose that startup mentality that's who we represent. It's the people that are small business owners across the country that are used to the grittiness of really just figuring it out and making it work with whatever they have in front of them. Um, that's never going to change, but that doesn't mean that we can't evolve in the meantime and make sure that we are we are focused on not just marketing our message, but actually living it and proving it and showing others that um, that it is real and brokers are here to stay and we're We're not going anywhere anytime soon.
1: I love that. As a fellow millennial, I'm excited to hear your answer for this next question. So what is the best and the worst part of being a millennial leader in the mortgage industry?
0: So I'm going to start with the worst part because I always like to go less than ideal first and then (laughs) the part that makes it great second. Um, The challenging part, I think, is that I'll be very candid. This is not something that I've held a secret Um, I've been in the mortgage industry just over six years, which relative to the role that I have and the position that I'm in and the group that we have isn't a ton of time. Um, It's happened pretty quickly. I was in healthcare for about five years before I moved over to mortgage. But even just my career tenure, I mean, I meet people all the time that are members of ours that were you know, they were 10 years into their career when I was graduating from high school. And sometimes that can create some challenges where we say, oh, remember when the housing market crashed and when the recession hit? And I can say, yeah, I was on my way to my freshman year of college when it happened. I didn't live it, but I've learned about it. Um, I've studied it. But just that inherent distrust up front of, mm-hmm. wait a minute, if she wasn't here before, how could she possibly know how to make sure that that doesn't happen again? Mm-hmm. And there, I think sometimes is a stigma around being new and having fresh ideas. And sometimes you can get sloughed off as the like, oh, you just haven't learned yet. Like, well, just because I didn't live it doesn't mean I haven't learned from it. And I think that that's very necessary. I mean, there are lots of things that We've learned today as a society that we didn't live through in the 1920s, but we know better than to do those things again. It doesn't mean that you had to be there in that moment. It just means that you have to pay attention and to understand and study trends and to realize the the uh, the things that led into what happened the first time around or the last time around, depending on your age, um, and how you want to avoid those or navigate challenges as they start to become similar patterns moving forward i'm a i am a data nerd at heart everybody who's ever worked with me will tell you that i love numbers i love trends i love understanding predictive indicators and so you do have to battle that as a millennial and say you're right i wasn't there then but how we do business today is also a lot different than how you did business at that point in time it right. has evolved um and i think that's what leads into some of our strengths right like we're we aren't bogged down by the mentality or the ideology that this is how it's always been done. So this is how we have to do it. We have, I mean, we're we're the internet generation, right? I mean, we grew up, I remember like in the second grade when we were, still had dial up like AOL connections <laughs> that you had to deal with. And then all of a sudden, by the time I was in intermediate school or middle school, it was instant. And we had Wi-Fi on our phones by the time we were 13 or 14. We've seen both sides and know enough of how there were challenges previously to today's society, but also the benefits that have come from that evolution and why rapid change can be really, really invigorating. And I feel like in housing in particular, the industry is a little stuck, right? We still do a lot of things in ways that other industries have already well moved past, The fact that we're just now talking about customer experience and the digital age of mortgage in the last three or four years is kind of crazy because we've lived in a digital environment for decades. I mean, at least 10, maybe 15 or 20, depending on what area of the country you lived in um, and how old you were at the time there are so many things that we can learn from other industries that we grew up around as millennials and so many other experiences we've been able to pull from the exposure that we've had to that rapid evolution and hyper consumer focused marketing mentality that are just now trickling into housing and we have such we have such an opportunity to pull the really great things that exist in other industries Into our industry, that I believe, and I think a lot of people believe, has been really stagnant for a really long time, and it doesn't have to be.
1: I love all of that. Um, Kind of pivoting back to your Women of Influence profile, it mentions that you've made mentorship an integral part of your day to day life. Could you expand more on that? Yeah,
0: I am a huge advocate of mentors. I think that it's so important. Um, I also think that there's a lot of different definitions to what a mentor is. I feel like there. There is so much pressure on identifying the perfect mentor and how do I find them? How do I ask them to be my mentor? How do I develop that relationship? But it doesn't have to be perfect. You can have lots of different mentors over various aspects of your life. You can have professional mentors. You can have personal mentors. You can have people in your family that you look up to and bounce questions off of. Those are still mentors. My very first mentor was my dad. And it was really just watching how he built his career and what that looked like and how my mom built her career and studying both of them to say, I like this, I don't love this, this I think I want to do differently. That shaped the way that I approached what I was going to do post-education when I was ready to enter the working world full-time, how I did that and the kinds of companies I looked for was based off of my relationship with my parents, who were my mentors. Those were the first people that I tried to learn from personally and professionally. Um, I've been really blessed from there to have, I think it's a really great goal in every role that you have to find somebody that you look up to. And whether they're a formal, I use air quotes, formal mentor, or it's just somebody that you watch their behavior and their leadership style and try to implement those skills in your own life or your own role, find someone everywhere. And don't just find somebody who you want to emulate. Find somebody that you don't. Those mentors are just as valuable. The people that you can learn from to say, I may like the person, but I don't like their team dynamic, or I don't love how they approach this situation, or their work-life balance isn't what I want for my own life, or their communication style isn't the way that I think I can communicate best. Those things are also incredibly valuable into narrowing down what your style is and how you're going to facilitate it in your professional development or in your leadership style or in working with whatever audience you're trying to target. Um, Mentors, there are lots of them out there. And that doesn't mean that you have to have an hour long phone call every single week to consider somebody a mentor. You can have conversations as one-offs at events. You can reach out and ask somebody a question in an email and hope that you create a, a relationship that allows you to exchange information every once in a while. You can watch and study somebody and how they've built their career and how you want to foster a similar environment. Those are all people who are mentors. Um, and I think we, we get a little too bogged down and focused on what is the definition of a true mentor A mentor is anybody that you learn something from. Good, bad, something in the middle. If they shape the way that you approach your
1: life personally or professionally, I think you can call them a mentor. So in light of that, who are some of the women in or out of the industry that you look up to? So I
0: have a couple. Um, I have told this story once already this year, but I'm going to tell it again. One of the very first women that I met in the mortgage industry um, she worked at a software company at the time. I worked for a national lender. It was literally my first job in mortgage. And I, my, uh, my boss who hired me resigned four weeks after, six weeks after I started. Oh gosh, he said, "Holy crap! What am I going to do? Who am I supposed to learn this industry from?" She was who I was supposed to learn from, and no fault of her own. She had a great opportunity. So there's uh, no hard feelings. But I found myself in a position where I was scrambling a little bit, saying, "Oh my goodness, what am I going to do?" I just left healthcare that I knew like the back of my hand to try something new, and now the person that I was going to learn from has left to go somewhere else. So I was able, through a series of events and conversations, was able to talk my next level boss, the CMO at the time, into letting me go to a conference. And he said, "I I will come back with a write up. I'll show you everything that I did, all the things that I learned." Just give me a shot. Let me go out there. He said, fine. So at the time that I went, I was introduced to Karis Cohen, who worked at a company called SoftU that's now Volley, I think, um, a mortgage technology company at the time. Um, And she met me and said, there aren't enough women in this space, so you're coming with me and put her arm around me, introduced me to every single person that I needed to meet at that event, told me who to work with who not to work with because we've all been there, the people that you don't love your relationship or the engagements haven't always been great, um, what different questions that I should be asking, what companies I needed to be aware of. And I, I talked to her a couple of times a month for years. I mean, the entire time that I was at that lender, which was probably two and a half years before I moved on to my role at Arrive. Um, I was regularly reaching out to her saying, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Do you know this person? I have this idea. Any thoughts on how I could make it happen? And she was so willing to give her time knowing that there was literally no direct benefit to her. I wasn't going to sign a contract with her company. I worked in a completely different division of um, the lending side than what she was trying to target at the time. And her entire philosophy was, I think you're a strong woman. I think you have a lot of potential as a young woman. I was 26, I think, when I met her. Um, And I want to help you get there. And if that means that I take time and I make sure that you know all the right people, then that's what I'm going to do. And if you have questions or need coaching or just want to vent, I will be there and I will help you do it. And I credit her a lot with how I was able to move through different roles, particularly different leadership roles at that company so quickly. I went from a manager to a senior manager, to a director, to a vice president, from consumer direct marketing to product development in less than two and a half years. And I think a lot of that had to do with uh, what she was able to help me learn and how much time she was willing to give so that I could get there. Uh, and now she works at AIM. So this, the moment I had a chance to recruit her to come to our team, I did, um, because I think she's amazing. And I think the, the impact that she can have on young minds and people who are coming into this space and the way that she can connect with people and her drive, it's, it is something that I'm not only proud to call her a mentor, but proud to call her a friend and would encourage anybody out there that's looking for guidance or advice or somebody to be like be like Karis. I really, and I mean that wholeheartedly. She is, um, She's incredible. And then uh, the other one I would say is actually, ironically, um, somebody who was recruiting me that I never actually went to work for, despite how much I respect her. Um, her. Christy Furco is her name, if you're familiar with the, she's obviously the chairman of the NBA this year um, and leads all of home lending at Wells Fargo. She was at Flagstar previously. And I think this is a good example of the different types of mentors. Karis, I talked to regularly, and now I talk to her 100 times a day. But even before she joined the team, we talked consistently over an extended period of time. I haven't had the same relationship with Christy, but that doesn't mean that I consider her any less of a mentor. In the times where I really needed guidance or needed somebody to reach out and say, I've been there. What do you want to talk about? How do you want to move through this? She was one of those people and she's done it more than once. Um, She was a big part of that transition into going from leading strategy at AIM to having to step into an interim CEO role with 24 hours notice, right? I mean, it happened very, very quickly when it did. And she was one of the first phone calls I got to say, It's a little bit of a mess. You've got a lot of work to do to figure out how to navigate where AIM is going to go and what the next steps look like. But you are in this chair for a reason. there's a reason people want you to step in and lead right now and you need to own it. And I wrote it on a post-it, owned the chair and had it stuck on my um, my desktop monitor in my office for the last two years. It's still there um, because of her reaching out and trying to provide that reassurance. And both of those things go to say, They're women who've been very successful on their own. They're women who I've had very different relationships with, but they're also women who prioritized helping another woman, regardless of what direct benefit they were going to get themselves. And I think that's a really important thing in today's housing industry, that there are lots of incredibly capable ladies that are out there that are working really hard to get that seat at the table. And once they've gotten it, we all struggle with that imposter syndrome, like, oh crap, should I be here? Who is second guessing the fact that I'm sitting here? Who is questioning my commentary when I turn around and walk out the door? And quite frankly, a lot of times the people that are the harshest are other women who are already there who are afraid that there's only space for one person or one woman or one um, uh, one body that looks the way that they do, instead of saying hell yeah, there's a second woman here. This is awesome. Let me make sure she feels comfortable and that she feels supported and that we can work side by side to make sure that we go from one person or one woman at the table to two, to three, to four, to six, seven, eight, a hundred, whatever the number is. Um, And I think both of those women as mentors in this industry, and I know that they've done it for plenty of other women out there, they always wanted to provide that reassurance when you were there and questioning why you were there. They never took that opportunity to cut another woman down to make sure that they stayed the center of attention. Um, And I think that's really admirable. And I think that's something we should all be striving to do all the time.
1: Absolutely. Well, Katie, it's been so great hearing your thoughts on leadership and mentorship from women in the industry. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. Listeners, we'll see you here tomorrow.